where we, a real-life mother and daughter duo, rewatch Gilmore Girls and discuss the misadventures of fictional mother and daughter duo Lorelai and Rory Gilmore. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series The Caranzan Chronicles and Beth's Daughter. And I'm Beth, Tessa's mom and also a writer. Tessa and I have been talking about movies, TV, music, politics, and culture pretty much since she could read. Even after she moved to Seattle, we kept up this dialogue until one day, one of us joked we should do a podcast and move these talks into the digital world. The Gilmore Girls seemed like a good place to start because not only does their story resonate with us, I was a single mother of a teenage daughter attending a private school we could not afford, but the plot lines in the show often touch on topics that Tess and I like to discuss. So here we are recording from our respective studios in separate cities. Tess is in Seattle, and I am in St. Louis. And we now have a Patreon. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash where you lead, all one word. Every week, we will start off the podcast episode with a synopsis of the television episode, along with the date it aired before heading into our discussion. Today, we are discussing season one, episode 11, Paris is Burning. It originally aired January 11th, 2001. Uh, So a brief synopsis of the episode is basically Paris, recurring character, has become the subject of a lot of bullying at school due to her parents' ongoing nasty and super public divorce. And meanwhile, Lorelai and Max's relationship is kind of moving forward, maybe heating up. I don't know. It's moving forward, definitely. After a series of events, Lorelai gets caught making out with Max Medina by Paris, who immediately spreads the gossip all over school as a way to take the heat off of herself. Uh, I guess I should state we are recording this in December. I think we're both a little low energy today, uh, <laughs> but I think we're we're ready. Some of us may or may not be battling colds. Uh, some of us just live in an area where sometimes the sun doesn't shine for several days. <laughs> so well so that would be you yeah, living be in seattle <laughs> and and i am battling a cold so i will try not to cough into the microphone but yeah so we, we open the episode they're walking through the town so it's a town scene mm-hmm. and they're having a witty conversation that's kind of talking about the abcs of something and they have different it's a game letters yeah it's, it's, a, it's game. a game that they're yeah. playing where they each name diseases based on like the next letter of the alphabet Oh, geez. Yeah. I missed that yeah. part. I just <laughs> caught the, the lettering part. But then they spy a pet adoption event mm-hmm. where there are puppies. So they had gotten to pee and the segue is puppies. Mm-hmm. So the puppy, what's interesting to me about it is that it was, it's part Cocker Spaniel, part Golden Retriever, part Bouvier de, Flan- de Flanders, <laughs> and part Wattweiler. Mm-hmm. That's a really odd combination of dogs. But then they get into, and it's named Buttercup, Buttercup. of all things, which, of course, made me think of the Lucinda Williams 
song called Buttercup. You would love that. You should listen to it. Anyway, it's a song about she says, I'm not your I'm not gonna be your buttercup. Anymore. So it's anyway. not a song about a dog. No, it's not a song about a dog. It's a song about how women are treated like buttercups. So anyway, Rory reminds Lorelai why she cannot have a pet. Mm-hmm. They had a pet, they had a hamster, a vicious hamster mm-hmm. that kept biting her. His Skippy. name was Skippy. Yep. Or her name. We're not sure. Yeah. So they, they talk about how bad Skippy was, and um, and it's just a very funny scene. They also compare the dog to Luke because the dog that they're looking at is scared of what blonde women, brunette men, the color red, cabbage, and Lorelai jokes that it's the dog version of Luke. And, and the crazy thing is, where do they get all this stuff from? Is this just creative writing on the part of the adopting agency? or <laughs> And, you know, do we have a local adoption agency here in St. Louis? That you know that that writes creative things on Facebook, trying to get people to to adopt their, the cats and dogs that they write about. So it's, some of these adoption people can be pretty creative. So yeah. that could be what's going on in this scene. We don't really know, but Luke agrees with Rory that, that they do not need a anything, mm-hmm. much less a dog, which is a lot more work than a hamster. Well, they, they we cut to the next scene. Yeah, the next scene. Where she is having dinner at Max's place. Am I right about that? That's the next yeah. scene? Yeah. Okay. And at the end of the scene, they, they finally have sex. And I don't know if they've had they've done this before or because later on in the episode, they talk about how they've been dating for two months at this point. Mm-hmm. And we've skipped some time in the episode, so we don't know if this is the first time or what. But they definitely have sex, and she comes in late. But what happens, I mean, she comes home late, mm-hmm. and um, and Rory kind of teases her about it. But the story that she tells about what, what what's happening in the scene before they go to the bedroom actually makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it she she doesn't eat anything at dinner. Mm-hmm. And then when and then when he's putting things away, she takes the pot that the food is in, which is I guess also 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 buco is what they called it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a meat. Yeah, thing. and she's eating it. She asks for the bread so she can dip the sauce. I guess he's made it, cooked it in a sauce, and you know he's teasing her. You didn't eat anything at dinner, and you're eating now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway, so she asks him where he got the recipe, and this is the best part of the scene to me because she tells he tells her. That it was a, a little Italian woman who lived upstairs and used to make meals for him and gave him the recipe. And then she said, so it was a former girlfriend, right? Mm-hmm. And that's hilarious. But th- it reminded me that when I was at college, we actually did have an Italian, a, an uh, elderly gentleman, Italian, who lived next door to mm-hmm. us whose wife had died a few years before. And he did, in fact, cook for us and teach us how to make a few things. So when he's telling the story, I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like Mr. Lacey. And then, of course, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a former girlfriend. Oh, that was kind of fun. Yeah, that was cute. So then she, but the best part of the scene is when she picks a Marcel Proust book out of his very ugly bookcase. Yeah, oh God. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful bookcase, books. I mean, you know, they're all leather bound and they've got gold filigree and stuff on them <laughs> or whatever, you know, the beautiful books that he's been collecting and it's in this metal yeah, shelving the, the, the unit kind of shelving that, that you, you have, have in the, the basement. basement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like okay, all right. That's I guess that's okay. Yeah, I mean anyway. it's a very. It felt like a very like man in the '90s kind of aesthetic. Like it's sort of yeah. looks like something that like Fox Mulder would have in his apartment. Actually, it looks like something that I would have had in my apartment in the early '80s. Mm-hmm. That's how old this this is. So <clears throat> back in, in my college days, certainly not you know in as an adult in a, in dating mode, which is what this guy is. Mm-hmm. So then they talk about Bruce versus Michael Crichton. Yes. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, give me Michael Crichton any day. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's 
one of my favorite writers, always has been. And actually, was just thinking about him the other day, uh, and how how he would weave his stories in a kind of circular manner, like like you know, you were un- he was unpeeling a piece of fruit. You know, he'd peel a, a layer away to give you part of the story, and then you, there'd be a lot of action. Then you'd peel another layer away, and they were somewhat mysteries, but they're always science, scientific mysteries. Mm-hmm. And and he just gradually until you get to the center of the story, and that's when everything breaks loose. You know, he, he had kind of a Frankenstein approach to everything because he thought science was only going to destroy us in the end. All of his books are like mm-hmm. that. So, But I just love Michael Crichton. So, yeah, I've never read any Proust. Have you ever read Proust? I don't think so, no. I mean, I remember him getting talked about when I was in high school, but I don't think I ever actually ended up reading anything by him, no. He gets talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. and It's like he's an example used in a lot of movies and TV shows about when somebody when they want to present somebody who's super or uber intellectual, you know, or over, you know, yeah. pseudo intellectual. That's what I want. Pseudo intellectual. You bring up Marcel Proust, which has always made me think, well, that's a, probably not somebody I want to read yet. So it happened. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he always gets brought up in the same breath as James Joyce. Like, have you read Remembrance of Things Past or Ulysses? Like, those are the two super long books. Well, there's a funny story about Ulysses, and this is this is why we do this podcast because of these stories. But um, Stephen King, just this past week, tweeted about, and I guess he's still using Twitter. Oh, yeah. We're, we, <laughs> he tweeted about Ulysses. So he finally got around. He's in his 70s now, right? Mm-hmm. So finally got around to reading Ulysses. And he says, it was okay, but it's really fucking oh, yeah. Irish. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> like oh man okay so now i have to read ulysses <laughs> you know i've actually heard Which I, I, one of my friends uh did read ulysses like a year or so ago uh nate i believe i think he did actually finish it really and he said that it wasn't as hard as he was expecting it the thing is i think the first i don't know if this is true or not or it's a bad memory but it seems like i tried to read it i think i own a copy somewhere and the first sentence there's one line is the first sentence, and the second sentence is like 16 pages mm-hmm. long. I mean, he's like, you know, Faulkner in that regard. He has these long Well, and that's the ongoing sentences. joke in the episode, right, is that as, as Lorelai returns to talking about Proust, she, she makes a joke about how the first sentence is 20 first pages long. First sentence is 20 pages yeah. long. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently Proust is like Joyce. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Lorelai does attempt to sneak home at 1 a.m., but Rory catches her, and Lorelai tells Rory that Max lent her uh, a book, and Rory says, you know what it means uh, when a man loans you a book, don't you? And Lorelai replies that he's already read it, and Rory just says, yep, yeah, that's what it means. That's what it means. <laughs> and the, the, the fact that she is still up, Rory is still up, is, you know, they... The roles are reversed mm-hmm. here. You know, she's being the mom, kept, you know, checking in on her, her somewhat daughter. Mm-hmm. And and it's not just here, but it happens at the end of the episode, too. The roles are definitely reversing here. And she's she, she stays up to what she's waiting up for her mom. And she tells her, you look really happy. Yeah. And she admits, I am. I am happy. So at this point, this relationship is working for them. Which is interesting because her the teacher, and we should talk a little bit about this max medina is her uh rory's lit teacher mm-hmm. and he is uh her mother's boyfriend and that's how they met at the school and he is kind of an intellectual guy i mean he he's talking about he will he loans her the proof book he's talking about emily Dix, dickinson at parents day later on and talking about any you know, he, he 
He recites from memory an Emily Dickinson poem. It's quite lovely. I've never really been able to get into Emily Dickinson, but but what he recites is pretty good. Anyway, he's a smart guy. He's got a brain. And I'm not saying that, that Lorelai is not a smart woman. She's very smart. She's never been an ac- academic person, though, you know. And it's interesting that they are, that they have worked out, that they are working out so well together up to this point. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, he talks about Emily Dickinson being, later on, being a passionate recluse. Yeah, so and... that's kind of not true um i I did want to no she was i did want to talk about this yeah um this is yeah this is during the period of time and so that's actually the next scene yeah it is i guess i did there's a lot of interesting stuff in the next scene yeah before we move on to that i'm just going to briefly mention that there's a line about how dean had to call five times that night this Mm -hmm. is also kind of an ongoing joke that like i get what they're going for but every time they make this joke it weirds me out a little i do remember what it was like to be a teenager in this time and typically what would happen is my friends and I would talk on the phone for like multiple hours. We wouldn't be like hanging up and calling back. Like we didn't call each other well, like five times a night yeah. unless we were getting disconnected for some reason. So, And not only that, but when have you ever known a boy to call five times? I mean, it, I didn't really date something... boys at that age, so I have no idea what they were like. Yeah, well, I did, and they don't do that. And I, don't, I think they still don't do that. So I don't think, you know, men have changed all that much. So it's a little unrealistic. I don't think that he keeps calling her. Yeah, I don't think kids use the phone the same way anymore. I don't, I don't, think, they, I don't think they're calling each other at all. I think they're texting. Well, but, it, but in 2001. Yeah, yeah, were. yeah, at that time, yeah. But yeah, so just mm-hmm. the, that's a weird line. They make that kind of joke a couple of times about how many times a man has to call, and it's just very strange to me. That doesn't seem realistic, and I feel like... I mean, if he's going to call that many times, why doesn't he just come over? Uh, yeah, or like, why don't they just stop hanging up? <laughs> like, if they're not done yeah. call, If they're not done talking. Oh, I thought of something else I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. so I'm calling back 20 <laughs> yeah. minutes later. Uh, but yeah anyway yeah but yeah so on to the next scene where max medina is telling the class about emily dickinson um so like my understanding is that it's a little bit hard to know for sure exactly what her life is like but there was this sort of and i'm not sure how much of this was an actual academic myth or how much of it was just like a pop culture myth there was this myth for a while that emily dickinson was a recluse but in recent years, that idea has been challenged. There's actually like a fair amount of evidence that she was a pretty social person and hmm. at the very least that she did have friends. But because she was unmarried when she died, people just assumed that meant she was a reckless. <laughs> yes, that's a very important point to make. Actually. Yeah, a lot of yeah, women in that era, a lot of assumptions were made about old maids that exactly probably shouldn't have been made yeah so so i don't i don't know what the exact academia is on this what what the research is on this but i, I just know that I've, I've read some articles in recent years about how like it's kind of a myth that she was a recluse she was actually like pretty well known in her social circles she just like didn't get married and yeah at that time mm. if you didn't get married and and she didn't get married and people talked about you. yeah and like <laughs> uh, i think they did find a bunch of her poems poetry in her house so like a lot of her poetry wasn't necessarily published in like big journals but that also doesn't make her a recluse that just means that she was a woman who tried to publish under her own name and probably didn't get very far so that's an assumption that people have made about her Mm -hmm. but the um the girls as they're leaving the classroom make another assumption yes say the dumb girls crave smart men Mm -hmm. look at Marilyn monroe okay so first of all dumb girls 
how many girls do you know who are dumb? That dumb. Yeah. <laughs> they don't necessarily crave smart men. I, I, it, that's just a, there are so many things wrong with that statement. But then to make the assumption that Marilyn Monroe was a dumb girl yeah. is, is another assumption that bothers me. So Yeah, and I, it's also, it kind of, this exchange further bothers me because I feel like the meta-narrative that's going on is that Louise is implying that Madeline is dumb. Because Madeline's the one who starts mm. off by saying that she has a crush on the teacher. Oh, that's a good and point. And then Louise responds that the teacher probably has a dumb girlfriend because dumb girls are uh, attracted to smart men. And there's kind of an ongoing joke about Madeline that she's a little bit of an airhead. Uh, so I, yeah. I feel like there's a, a, a double thing going on there where, yeah, like, first of all, it is a myth that Marilyn Monroe was stupid. She was not. Mm. She was pretty smart and very good at crafting her own image. And she played, she, even the characters she played are not as dumb as people think. The characters that she played were usually themselves putting on a bit of an act. She, she was actually a very interesting woman. Mm -hmm. She did make it big because of her looks, but that always bothered her from what I understand. So she took acting classes so she could get better at her craft and she did get better at it. You know, some of her later roles were, she was, she was a really gifted actress. So I have a lot of respect for Marilyn Monroe and it's always bothered me that people make these assessments and assumptions yeah. about her and, you know, she suffered from depression yeah. and she was lonely because she was so beautiful and so famous. People could she couldn't let people get close to her and she was lonely. Yeah. She, she also, depression and she also like, there are a couple of quotes from her where she's speaking very uh, kind of detachedly about the image of Marilyn Monroe as if that's like separate from herself. You know, this was a whole mm -hmm. image that was crafted around her partly by her, but also partly by studios. You know, there's yeah. kind of a whole apparatus that goes into turning a woman into a sexual object <laughs> And actually, there's a famous uh, portrait of her, photographic portrait of her, where she is in like a halter top and blue jeans laying on a weight bench, lifting weights. And yeah, it's a great photo and not an image that you would think of, you know, with Marilyn Monroe in the 50s, women didn't work out. They didn't, you know, most people didn't work out. But certainly not women, and she did. And she, you know, she wanted to be stronger. I don't know if it was for a specific role or what she was doing, but it is a wonderful photo of her because it cuts through the image yeah. that people have of her. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but these friends, um, yeah, Madeline what, are these, and what are the friends' names? Yeah, they say hi to Rory on their way out of the mm -hmm. classroom, which kind of startles her a little bit. Yeah. So she's starting to make in inroads well, into... Well, also, um, they say hi to her, but it's sort of like sandwiched between... Like, I think Paris briefly addresses them. So we, we hear some background stuff about uh, people gossiping about Paris uh, and then Paris kind of like exits the scene and Louise and Madeline say hi to Rory and then immediately start not exactly bad mouthing Paris but they start gossiping about um, gossiping her parents yeah. divorce including this very weird line where one of them says something like is it true that her mother's back has been completely surgically reconstructed. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, which like, the if you listen to that line, it sounds like that means that she was in like a car accident or something. Like, why yeah. else would you need your back to be reconstructed? But then... And then at the back... Go ahead. And, but then Louise's response is this kind of bitchy retort of like well it doesn't match the front now does it? Which I'm just like, what? What does that even what mean? What are you guys talking about? <laughs> yeah. 
They're both they're both idiots. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 just yeah, it's just this very bizarre moment where they're clearly supposed to be having like a gossipy thing about Paris's mother's plastic surgery, I guess. But I've just never heard of, especially in this point in time, the idea of having your whole back surgically reconstructed for any yeah. reason other than you were in a horrifying accident and like yeah. you needed it to be put back together. But they're acting like it's plastic surgery. I don't know. Maybe she was just Yeah, they're well they're not they're not the smartest girls on the planet, let's just say that. At least they're they're presented that Yeah, they way. are written yeah. as foils basically for Rory and Paris who are in Paris yeah, yeah. who are indicated by the show to be the smart girls and Louise and Madeline are regularly uh, implied to be not as smart and not as intellectually interested. But yeah, but the, the mm-hmm. whole scene is strange. You can tell that Rory is weirded out that they've talked to her, but you can also tell that Rory is not like enjoying the fact that people are talking about Paris in this way. It's just like a very yeah. weird moment for Rory. Mm-hmm. And for me hearing about the back reconstruction. But yeah, so then and then we get to uh, another Friday night dinner. And again, the timeline here in this episode oh God, yeah. is completely <laughs> off. It's wild. We're not, I, you know, I decided at some point to just give up. <laughs> I, I cannot keep track of what day it is because they have mushed everything together so much that it just doesn't make sense. So but they're at dinner mm-hmm. and the first thing that... The smile, the knowing smile mm-hmm. on Emily's face has gotten her daughter Lorelai's attention, mm-hmm. and she keeps asking her, "What's up, Mom? What do you know? What are you th- What are you thinking? What are you What are you smirking at?" Mm-hmm. She doesn't say that, but that's basically what Emily's doing is smirking, and as a way to, to divert attention from what she knows, she asks them, "So, how's the squab?" I had to look up squab. <laughs> squab. <laughs> yeah, it's an it's an immature domestic pigeon, huh. and it tastes like dark meat chicken. Yeah. So it's like I had never in my 64 years had never heard of a squab before in my life. I don't know. They're eating pigeon. Okay. They're eating pigeon. Yeah. All right. So in this also in this scene, and I don't often comment on their on their clothes. Well, maybe we do, but not in this way. She Lorelai has this wonderful sweater on. The polka dots. It's polka dots, Mm -hmm. but they're it's beautiful. Probably cashmere because it's got a real nice texture. Mm to it as well but it's like a, a light lavender with these beautiful polka dots and I was just mesmerized by it I <laughs> guess I love polka dots but it was just beautiful mm-hmm. and uh, and actually all three of them I noticed after I noticed her sweater they're all three wearing sweaters Yes. and I don't usually comment on the clothes but I just had to point that out yeah. beautiful sweater anyway but Lorelai knows her mom is about to spring something on her she can just tell by the way she's smiling mm-hmm. it's a smirky kind of smile and of course she does because then at some point she says okay so are you looking forward to parents day or something like yeah, that. So yeah. she knows about Parents Day because, of course, Emily reads the school newsletter that comes out mm-hmm. on Fridays, and Lorelai still has not figured out that she needs to read that damn newsletter before she goes to the, her mother's Yeah, the dinner. second it comes out. Yeah, so it sounds like the, second the, it comes out. the newsletter arrives in people's mailboxes or whatever on Fridays. Uh, so Emily has... So I'm, you, you think it's a printed one. It's not coming by email. Like, it's 2001, so it probably is not coming I mean, by yeah, email. I would assume that... I'm, I'm just assuming based on the time period and... The fact yeah. that no one has said that it's coming by uh, email. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. But yeah, so it's the implication seems to be that it comes out on Fridays because this is like the second time that Emily has read it before mm-hmm. Lorelai. And each time Lorelai insists that it just came out. And this is also kind of the first very weird thing about the timeline because 
The newsletter came out Friday, and it says that Parents' Day is the following Wednesday. Wednesday. Which yeah. is just insane. Like, they're expecting parents, because Parents' Day is the day where the parents come into school and go through the whole school day with their kids. Or at least that's the and implication. They have to take the day off. With basically two business days' notice, they're supposed to take the day off. I think, however, that there's probably a school calendar that somewhere that has it on there. That's my impression, is that, I mean, you, your school had calendar yeah but they but they do not act like chilton has a calendar the implication in this scene is definitely that like this was the first notification of it and that's how emily is able to hold it over lorelei's head because if they Mm -hmm. had a calendar then lorelei would have known about this earlier no she wouldn't have (laughs) i mean she could have she She could have they are they are both very much (laughs) acting like this is the first indication that chilton has given them of this And yet we're supposed to believe that all of these parents are going to be able to take the day off on Wednesday when they have almost no notice to do so. There are definitely some people who would be allowed to do that in their jobs, but there are many other people who absolutely would not be allowed to take the well, day off. Well, and also it's it's a wealthy parent culture, so there could be a lot of mothers who don't work. And Emily immediately suggests, when Lorelai says she's not going, Emily immediately suggests she can go, and of course we knew that this is where this was heading. Yeah. And then Lorelai says, no, 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 I can do it. I can, I can get there. Then she says, well, then there's some mother-daughter talent show coming up too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I feel like part of my point is that I, I, I don't know how much this is intentional, but this idea feels like a relic of an older time when like women would not be expected to work. Uh, and maybe that was still mm. true at this time. I feel like nowadays, even in wealthy families, it's somewhat unusual for women to not work. Yeah. Well, and by the time you guys were in school, when they had parent day type activities, they didn't have it during the course of the day. Mm-hmm. They'd have breakfast with mom or breakfast yeah. with dad before the school day started. And parent teacher conferences were after school. They weren't during the school day because the teachers have to be there for that too. And they're teaching. Unless, you know, there was a half a day, they do a half a day where you, where you got let out of school early. And then the parents who didn't have to work could come in during that time. But they scheduled things for parent involvement outside of the workday because yeah, yeah but by the even by the mid 2000 the aughts the 2000 aughts they women were working yeah. for the most part i mean there were a few women who were stay-at-home moms but increasingly fewer as the years went by yeah for sure the breakfast thing i don't think that i ever did that that, that might have been simon grade school for simon yeah, yeah. i just remember there being donuts yeah and they only did it for dads i just remember thinking you know the moms do all the work Uh and you have these breakfasts every year for dads really weird yeah that's weird (laughs) yeah it would seem very unfair to me and and you know and they also what they finally did was because there were a couple times when your father refused to go so i went yeah and they finally got to the point where they call it dad's breakfast but they'd invite mothers and grandfathers and special people in your life and they would say men sometimes but then they'd say you know mothers can come too i don't know if they ever changed it to parents breakfast or if it was always dad's so weird but i i never liked how they but they how they yeah I, I hate that <laughs> that sucks yeah i mean yeah i mean i i was mom and dad both yeah. so it was it was not fair to me i thought so <sighs> but <laughs> water under the bridge yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> but but before we go on when 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 emily mentions the uh, mother-daughter talent show lorelei immediately snorts yeah <laughs> and it was the funniest thing it's like 
what talent mm-hmm. <laughs> that's pretty good but yeah okay so then the next scene is Lorelai getting ready for a date with Max and the implication of this scene is that Rory is trying to get out of the house so that she can avoid actually interacting with Max when he shows up mm-hmm. uh, but Lorelai as per usual is not ready on time and is kind of having scatterbrain yeah having an Can't ongoing meltdown yeah which also she- just the, the literal thing that happens in this scene is that she asks Rory where her orange suede hair clip thingy is and Rory helps her find it and then you literally see Lorelai toss it aside again and not wear it. Rory suggests four different places Mm -hmm. for her to look Mm -hmm. and it's like who's the mother here again (laughs) so there's another role reversal thing this is the second example of this Mm -hmm. and there's going to be another one but you know she she says check here check there check your sock drawer and that's where she finds it. it Who puts their hair thing thingy their orange suede hair thingy in their sack drawer, I don't get I that. I mean, the same person who, as soon as she finds it, just tosses it aside again. That's this thing it. that she's been looking for for this whole scene. And she's really dressed interestingly, too, because I can't decide if that top... She's, it looks like she's got a, a slip on mm. that is going to be... And then she's got a shirt over the slip. Is she going to butt that that up or is she just gonna go like that could you figure that out it's a very sexy outfit and i i it's i don't actually remember what she was wearing well it was three different colors too the whole thing was just kind of sloppily pulled together yet she looked adorable Mm. but what we find out in this scene is that they have a handbook Yes. Well, that's what they that's what they say. I don't know if it's a real handbook or if it's just exists in the cloud that is Lorelai's brain, because at this point there's no real cloud. They have a handbook with rules about when men come to the door. Mm, yes. And how she doesn't want uh, Rory answering the door because she doesn't want her to interact with the men in her life. She doesn't want them to have a relationship because she assumes the relationships are never going to work out, and she doesn't want her to be crushed. Mm-hmm. This is the theme of the kind of an underlying theme for this whole episode. When in fact, it's not that she's worried about her daughter getting crushed. She's worried about herself getting crushed because she's had so many disappointing relationships. So she kind of uses the idea that she doesn't want her daughter to get attached when really it's she Mm -hmm. who does not want to get attached. And that is certainly understandable for someone who has lived the life she's lived. So, But yeah, so because Lorelai needs so many different things from Rory. Rory does not end up leaving before Max arrives and does in Even fact... though there is another door. Yeah. She could have. <laughs> she could have. There was another but door she could have exited I through. I think part of what's happening is that Lorelai is not actually ready to answer the door, so she needs Rory yes, to answer Yes, that's exactly it. it. But then Rory and Max have this very awkward interaction where Rory is clearly kind of trying to like leave and max Mm kind of keeps engaging her and she calls him mr medina and he is kind of put off by that and suggests that maybe she should call him something more informal outside of school well he says call me max yeah and the thing is he once again is not thinking it through yeah he didn't think it's a bad idea when he asked lorelei out the first time Mm -hmm. this is this is a, a, a frequent thing throughout the episode and he does finally admit it at the end of the episode he hasn't thought it through yep. and without even thinking about it he tells his student to call that why don't you call me mac most schools have a much more formal relationship between the uh, teachers 
and the students. And so when you went to TJ, that was not allowed. Yeah. You called everybody Mr., Mrs., Miss, mm-hmm. whatever. It, it's a much more formal formal relationship. Mm-hmm. And they have that kind of formal relationship between the teachers and students at Chilton. And Max should know that. Yeah. But he doesn't think it through. He's kind of like Lorelai in that respect. She she also kind of sometimes doesn't think things through. And he's like he's thinking about it from a very, not exactly selfish standpoint, but he's not really thinking about it from Rory's point of view. He's thinking about mm-hmm. it from his own point of view where it's like weird for him to show up to a date and have someone call him Mr. Medina. But from Roy's point of view, it's much weirder to try to start to blur that line because what if she accidentally yes. calls him Max at school? Right. That would exactly. be embarrassing for her and inappropriate. Yeah. And, and I think he kind of feels a little guilty. I mean, he's kind of putting this off on her. You should call me Max so I don't feel guilty about dating your mother. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of the impression I'm getting. What is his real motivation here? When she calls him Mr. Medina, he remembers he's her teacher. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't want to remember that. He wants you to be. But then, you know, then he, then he makes a suggestion. Well, when we're not at school, we can have these private names for each other and she comes up with Norman and so that might be a little bit easier but even so we're trying to keep this straight for a high school student if she got into the habit of calling him Max or Norman Mm -hmm. or whatever Alfred and then she does she blurts that out at school when she's not thinking about it on a morning when she might be tired That's a problem. Yeah. And he, it's like through the course of this conversation, he never figures that out. Yeah. He never sees what what kind of a situation he could be creating for Rory. And it does become a problem later in the episode. Yeah. Exactly what we, this is foreshadowing. He's creating a situation that's going to be a problem for her. It feels like, so we, we kind of moved past their date earlier before I remembered to point this out, but... When Lorelai and Max are in there or on their date in the mm-hmm. early part of this episode, Lorelai like immediately proves how inappropriate their relationship is by openly trying to influence Rory's grade on her most recent paper. And like Max does make a joke about how it would be unfair to the other kids whose mothers aren't there tonight. But it was just yeah. like, we're playing this for laughs, but it's wildly inappropriate and she shouldn't even really joke about it. And she kind of, the show is playing it for a laugh, but it doesn't entirely feel like she's joking because she sort of keeps no. pushing it. And it's just like, that's not even an appropriate joke. Like Rory, yeah. Rory is already in a place in this school where people act like she's not good enough to be here. You yes. joking about influencing her grade is like super not acceptable. And similarly in this scene, Max asking Rory to call him Max instead of Mr. Medina is just not something that he has a right to do. And it's not something that he no. should do as her teacher. He's put her in a very difficult position. Mm-hmm. She makes the most of it. She turns it around. She doesn't hold it against him. But the whole situation, is, and we have talked about this the, the first time they met and how he kept he kept pushing her to go out with him. This would be Lorelai, not Rory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on how inappropriate it was mm-hmm. and or not inappropriate but it just creates the potential for problems yeah and we, here we are in one of the first well the first problem is when she like you said Lorelai jokingly brings up the paper hey let's put her paper on the top and you can just give her an A while I'm here and then Rory has a problem mm-hmm. you know with the with the interaction and then there'll be a much bigger problem later on in the episode yeah. but, but it's not an easy situation and it, that is becoming more obvious by the minute yeah. so uh, okay so the next scene is um, between stuffed squash blossoms Suki and Jackson <laughs> yes the stuffed squash blo- blossoms which I did have to look up that is a real 
thing. And it looks, I mean, they show a squash blossom later in the episode. Just but like squab. It's an it's, yeah, thing. It's a weird thing. But yeah, so they're, they're kind of having a back and forth argument because Jackson doesn't want to give her the squash blossoms and wants her to instead try what they refer to as a zucchini tush, I think. That he had it. apparently developed himself yes. by hybridizing something. Yeah. But I think what's what's going on here too is they're setting it up. She when they're they're being contentious with each other, which is often how they are. Mm-hmm. And in this scene, neither one of them smiles. They are very frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both have their they're they're in the middle of a, a disagreement and they have their sides and they're not coming together. Mm-hmm. When it happens again later on, it's a completely different situation. So this is setting that that later scene up, I think. Although I had to wonder that blossom that's on the squash you're really gonna stuff that with something i guess it would be like lettuce there there are recipes online actually the one that i found online was you stuff it with ricotta apparently huh well i don't know i didn't actually try it so i have no idea how that would turn out but yeah but the the writing in the scene is very good he keeps coming up with all these great reasons you know why (laughs) why she can't do it it's pretty funny it's actually a really really well really well done scene and it's only about a minute long and then Lorelai shows up with her uh skates and she and Rory apparently have a date to go skating together and they sort of joke oh yeah that... this is happening in Luke's diner mm-hmm. by the way yeah this is happening in Luke's, Luke's diner. diner when this is happening <laughs> yeah and they sort of joke that they're going to play act as Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding which I thought it's was not funny at all I mean it's not it's not funny but it is interesting because Rory's going to be Nancy Kerrigan and Lorelai is going to be Tanya Harding and as soon as they said that I was like oh that's like a perfect metaphor for how Lorelai's parents see them both Lorelai can do nothing right and Rory can do nothing wrong Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan yeah absolutely also Lorelai holds up her skates uh if you have skates that look like that please do not go skating in them that would be very dangerous (laughs) and you would fall on your face uh if the skates didn't fall apart Uh, under your feet fortunately for her Luke shows up, sees the hazard that she's about to walk into, and decides to fix her skates for her because, of course, he can do that. And, of course, he will just immediately offer to put in a fair amount of work into fixing up Lorelai's old-ass skates. Well, and before he does that, though, he sees the skates and laughs. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and it made me realize, we don't see Luke laugh very often. Yeah. So when he looks at those, he, he just he really has a hearty laugh at her mm-hmm. expense. But then he does offer to, to sharpen the blades and make sure they're secure. So And uh, yeah. Suki's exact comment after he offers that is, you get really good service here. <laughs> I, did, I missed that one. That's good. But yeah. Um, oh, and an important thing happens in this scene that kind of sets off the plot of the rest of the episode, which is, Rory suggests that they invite Mr. Medina to Max. go skating with them. Yeah. But she calls him Max. She calls him Max. And Max, yeah. Lorelai pretty much immediately starts freaking out. And that freak out mm-hmm. follows us through the rest of the episode. Yeah. And at first it's just that she called him Max. Because she's calling by his first name. Mm-hmm. But then having a an activity or an experience mm-hmm. where all three of them are together, not in the school setting. Yeah. So the whole thing is a setup for the rest of the episode. I mean, we've been setting up for the rest of the episode. The whole time. Um, way along but yeah and so the next scene after that is Lorelai and Suki and I'll just come out and say it I feel like this episode marks the beginning of Lorelai's terrible behavior for the rest of this episode they're they're having a back and forth where Lorelai is suddenly no longer excited about Max and keeps talking in this way that's like distancing herself from him like he's a great guy for somebody else 
he'll find someone someday, like that kind of language. And Suki pretty much immediately picks up on it and... It's a pattern. And straightforwardly tells her this is a pattern. Every time you get to the two-month point in a relationship, Mm -hmm. you start doing a quote-unquote cha-cha dance to get away from it, uh, suggesting Mm -hmm. that Lorelai has done this repeatedly before. Uh, Lorelai denies that it's a pattern, but Suki doubles down and is like, nope, that this is you. This is you doing the dance. And then Lorelai's response to that is pretty harsh. Uh, she, yeah. she replies, when did you become the relationship ep- expert? You haven't been in a relationship in years. It was a really cruel thing yeah. to say. And TNT realizes it and says, yeah, boy, zero to jackass in 3.2 seconds. Mm-hmm. And yet it, it's both terrible and kind of good. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say to your friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she and she realizes that, I mean, as soon as she says it, you can just see Lorelai's face. Her eyes just get wider, and she realizes what she said, and she feels horrible almost immediately, as soon as she says it. And and then and then, and then you see Suki's face. Yeah. Uh, and Suki is a little bit hurt, but I think she also realizes something in that moment, that she is alone, and she has been alone for too long, and there's somebody in her life that would be a good person for her to be in a relationship with. I think there's all that going on in her I'm face. Not, I'm not convinced that that is what is happening in her face in that moment i think that's what happens for her after that moment in that moment i think well, she, she just looks devastated her face just like totally for very long though i not, i mean she, she after a moment she does like start to look happier which i also have kind of an issue with but in that moment it is total devastation on her face like, but it's not because her friend has hurt her feelings it's because it's the truth i mean i you think know, it she could hasn't be been in a relationship. i think it could be both it's both it's both you're right i also like i don't really like how the rest of it plays out because yeah she does kind of immediately turn around i, I don't know it's just like the whole ep- the whole scene kind of st- struck me as a bit weird because Lorelai does immediately apologize, but she apologizes in a way that focuses on her need for Suki to forgive her and not so much oh, on yeah. Suki's actual feelings. And Suki kind of turns around and like plays right into that. And Lorelai basically is just like, you can sing Ricky Martin songs at me. And so Suki like jumps on that and sings Ricky Martin songs at her. And so they move past the moment I, I understand why they did that because it's kind of a lighthearted show. Like they don't want to linger on something that's kind of dark for too long. But I also feel like I don't think that that's how it would have really played out for most people. Actually, I think, I think it is. I think it is because I think I, I think you... I think it might play out that way for someone who is super a people pleaser, and that is what it feels like Suki is a lot of the time. Suki is. Yeah, but also when you have a good friend and you say something mean and cutting like that, you do want it to get better immediately. So I think her attempt to smooth things out with Suki and Suki's playing into it and saying, yeah, yeah, let's let's get work through this. It's realistic because people tend to not like conflict. You know, instead of talking through this and saying, well, Lorelai, sometimes you're insensitive or, you know, talking about why maybe Suki hasn't had a relationship in a long time. Instead of getting into that, women and maybe everybody, but women in particular, I think, tend to shy away from conflict. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a very realistic thing happening there. But it also, I think this is the beginning of when Suki starts to think, you know, it hits her that, that she hasn't had a relationship in a long time. So, and we'll get to that later. But, so there's a lot going on in this scene and it's a very quick scene. And also she's pouring hot water into the 
into the bowl where, where Lorelai's feet are mm, mm-hmm. tea, from a tea kettle. And she starts to pour this water from the tea kettle. I'm thinking, oh, this is accident-prone Suki pouring hot water mm-hmm. into a bowl where Lorelai's feet are. And they, you know, and it comes up. It's okay. She doesn't burn her. But that's my immediate thought yeah. when I saw her doing that. She's going to kill this woman. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so I think, like, I do think that there are some people for whom, like, this is exactly how they would respond to that. But I think in the real world, if you experience someone saying something pretty cruel to you that kind of cuts you to the core, and then you just sort of let the conversation move on, that doesn't mean that you get over it. Like, in fact, what that most likely means is you're going to hold on to that resentment. So I do think it's unrealistic to have them immediately move on and not even unrealistic it's just like it's a very like centering Lorelai in this moment instead of centering Suki where like Suki doesn't really need any on-screen time to finish processing Lorelai's willingness to say something like that to her and instead like the next scene we get with Suki is it's all been resolved off screen. And in fact, it was a good moment for her. And so she's like pushing on. I mean, uh, we, we, we've seen the episode. So later on, she asks Jackson out. Like that's basically what happens. Yeah. Because of well, this scene. Well, here's the question though. Was it really that terrible a thing for her to have said? I think that when, when Lorelai says this, you haven't been in a relationship in, in, in a very long time. She's, she's pushing back because she doesn't want to hear what Suki has to tell her. You know, it's, it is a pattern. Mm-hmm. She does break relationships off at the two-month point, and she doesn't want to hear that. So the first thing she, she thinks is a pushback with this statement, but it's it's actually an, it's, it's a, a truthful statement. But it being true doesn't mean that it's not cruel. And no, like, I'm not Lorelai... saying it's not. It's a pushback. It's a cruel pushback. And she's trying to get Suki to shut up. Yes. So she says the first thing that comes to mind, which was thoughtless and bordering on cruel, but at the same time, it's also truthful. And in in Lorelai does it to get her to shut up basically she doesn't want to keep hearing this from her so she says something mm-hmm. that that comes out quickly thoughtlessly but it's still true and it does get suki it's not there's not any justification for this statement at all but the result is that it does get suki to think about it is she at a point with jackson that they could have a relationship is she at a point in her life i think it does make her think about it and my thinking is that maybe there's they filmed a little bit more and cut had to cut it out because the episode was too long hard to say because you're right when they when it happens later on it feels like boy she resolved that pretty easily oh too easily i mean i almost feel like this argument is basically a the writer's like shortcut into jump-starting the suki and jackson relationship because i do feel like they've, they've been building that flirtation for a while but for whatever reason, both Suki and Jackson, like neither of them has pushed forward to the next level. So I feel like this this scene could be written the way that it is because the writers literally just wanted to give one of them a reason to jumpstart the relationship. I do like that it's Suki that takes the initiative in their relationship. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty cool and relatively unusual in the world of television in particular. It's usually the guy uh, especially when the female character is someone like Suki, who I think is characterized as being a bit of a people pleaser and maybe not necessarily that good at standing up for herself. So, like, I yeah. I do like all of that. I just feel like 
we're getting very close to a ends justify the means kind of argument. And like, I don't, I think it's really shitty that Lorelai said that to her, especially if it's true, because you can tell that Lorelai knows that maybe this is something that Suki is a little bit sensitive, sensitive about. about. And also because the argument is wrong. Suki yeah. is not giving her bad advice and sh- no, no. like r- romantic, I, like I, this is a, a trope that a lot of people believe that I don't romantic relationships are not inherently completely different dynamics to friendships if you are able to navigate Mm -hmm. any kind of relationship you are able to navigate a romantic relationship there is not some Mm -hmm. fundamental difference between romantic relationships and like platonic or familial relationships conflict is conflict and like avoidance is avoidance and Suki is aware of that and in fact Suki has given her tons of good advice before she's it's not always perfect advice but she is a good sounding board for Lorelai and Lorelai knows that so like what she is saying is since you aren't dating anyone you don't have any ground to stand on to give me advice and that's just incorrect it is incorrect Suki is really good at giving advice so why is she so bad at giving it to herself Mm. that's another question I had Mm -hmm. she does see the patterns in Lorelai's romantic relationships and yet she hasn't been able to figure out until that moment anyway, that she and Jackson have a contentious relationship, which is a trope mm-hmm. based on attraction. And it is a trope. And it, it's funny because it, it, I think it was, it's not as much of a trope anymore as it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it, it was, maybe it got over, overused, but it used to be, you know, there, I'm thinking about the movies that I've seen of women in, in you know, in the forties, uh, yeah. you know, the, well, with their, I, I think, I mean, I think two things have gone into, I, I agree it's less of a trope than it used to be. And I think there are two main, reasons for that one i think is kind of an increasing sensitivity to a more feminist dynamic between romantic Mm. partners because i think i do think a lot of those dynamics not all of them but a lot of those dynamics lend themselves to somewhat non-consensual scenes you know a lot of those dynamics often build to a sort of man takes the woman by force in some way. The The other side is just rom-coms are not as popular or as common as they used to be. No, that's true too. Um, and I'm thinking about Man and Superman, you know, the play, the mm-hmm. George Bernard Shaw play. And you read that, right? No. Oh, well, and Pygmalion. I've, re- I've read Pygmalion, but, um, yeah. And Man and Superman, the, the two romantic partners, mm-hmm. <laughs> the man and the woman, you know, battle a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of contentious battles between them. And... Jordy Bernard Shaw's attitude was that's the the best way because they're both fighting for themselves to be together but be themselves. Mm-hmm. So and that's the way, you know, the way you keep your identity in a relationship is to fight for it. I mean that's a very limited okay. <laughs> I mean it's a very simple, simplistic uh-huh. explanation of the play. But that's one of the elements. And I think that's there's something to be said for that. That, you know, but at the same time you also want harmony in a relationship. So Jackson and, and her arguing nonstop. And I can't remember. After they get together, does it keep up? You don't have to answer that because it's a spoiler. But but that's something to talk about later on. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. We can talk about I it, don't remember as, either. it as it comes yeah. up. So then so then we get back to school. Yes. <laughs> Go back to Chilton. Ugh God, this is another another scene that like points out the kind of oddness of the timeline here. So Max pulls Rory back after class. 
to tell her that he hasn't heard from Lorelai in a while, quote-unquote, in a while, and he's, like, getting worried. Except per the timeline that we have seen, they had a date on Saturday, and this is mm-hmm. at the latest Tuesday. Wednesday. Wednesday. No, no, no. Oh, it's, it's a day it's before Tuesday. Parents' yeah, Day. Yeah, it's a day okay. before Parents' Day. It's Tuesday. Day. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's either Monday or Tuesday. So it's been... So he's as bad as Dean. He's called her four yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, we eventually get that he's called her and left her four messages but yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's just like i don't know it's just the way that he says like i haven't heard from her in a while i'm just like you guys have only been dating for two months and it's been what two days since you've heard from her i don't understand how that constitutes a while but mm-hmm. i don't know maybe i, I mean you know di- different people are going to approach their relationships differently that sounded a bit odd to me if I were in the early stages of dating someone and hadn't heard from them in three days, that would not raise any alarm bells for me, (laughs) but whatever. But all of this is basically just to imply that he has picked up that something is going on. And in fact, something is Mm -hmm. going on. Lorelai is edging her way towards breaking up with him. We get kind of a more clearer view of that in the next scene when Rory and Lorelai are clearing out the fridge and Rory is talking about the gossip about Paris's parents' divorce. And I, gosh, I also, like, kind of don't love Lorelai's parenting in this scene. Like, I I, I don't want to overstate the case. It's just a small thing. But when Rory says that she feels bad for Paris, Lorelai's response is, that's because you are the nicest kid ever to walk the earth. And my thought is... That's kind of overpraising Rory in this scene. Her response yeah. should be good. It is good that you feel bad for her. We should feel bad for people when they go through something, even if we don't like them and even if they've been mean to us before. Like yes Or even even go further and say that maybe explain that may explain why you have why she's such a difficult person because mm-hmm. she has this yeah. this this family dynamic that is mm-hmm. crazy. There's a lot that they could have talked about in this scene. Maybe again they were running out of time. I don't know, but yeah, she doesn't. Well, and that's 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 Lorelai all over the place. She's awful yeah. flippant. Mm-hmm. She's flippant. She doesn't. She doesn't like to get into things deeply. Yeah, which is why she pushes back at Suki when Suki's trying mm-hmm. to tell her she has a pattern. She's not very self-analytical until she is absolutely forced to be, and that does happen at the yeah. end of the, the episode. And so. she also has a tendency to overpraise Rory. Like, no, she does that too. What is happening in this scene is Rory is demonstrating basic empathy, and Lorelai literally responds by saying that that makes her the nicest kid to ever walk the earth. And it's like, no, it just makes her nice. It just makes her nice. It just makes her good. Like, it doesn't make her the greatest. It's just, it's a good thing, but it's not the greatest thing. Well, and you know, what I, when you're, you're talking about that, and I'm thinking, yeah, that is a very simplistic thing for her to say to overly praise her. But I kind of sometimes wonder if I did not praise you and your brother enough that way. Mm. That I, everything, we were always so busy, life is so busy, that when you would do good things like that, I should have praised, I, when you said things like that, I should have praised you more. I think that that's not a bad thing to do, but she does it too often. She does it too much, yeah. <laughs> she yeah. does it too much, yeah. yeah. Uh, but she also points out in this scene that Madeline and Louise, that the dynamic has changed there. They mm-hmm. said hi to her. Mm-hmm. And so and they talk about the book. They're cleaning out the fridge. That's when Laura, when Rory picks up what Lorelai is putting yeah. down as well. And Rory picks up on the fact that she seems like she's about to break up with Max. She's going to give the book back to him. 
Um, she wants Rory to give the book back to him. Which she I also, do I also like that is also terrible. She claims yeah. that what she's trying to do is keep her love life out of Rory's life, but what she's literally doing is asking Rory to break up with Max for her. Yep, like that's exactly what she's doing. Maybe she hasn't thought it through, but like if Rory were to give Max that book back, how is he going to respond? He's going to respond by understanding that this is Lorelai breaking up with him while talking to Rory. And one of the things uh, Rory says to Lorelai here is, he shouldn't be asking you about me. Mm -hmm. Because he had been that Mm -hmm. day in in school. So, yeah, it's not right is what she says. And And, um, that's true. But it's it's, you also should not be asking her to return the book for you. Yeah. yeah. The thing that you didn't want was for her to be involved. And yet you're doing this. Mm -hmm. No. No. (laughs) What you're doing is way more inappropriate than him just asking whether or not you're going to go to Parents Day. So then we then we get to Parents Day. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just because I, I like I like how Rory responds. I feel like Rory's response in this yep. scene is again like, appropriate. She's the parent here. Mm-hmm. She's the parent here. They the roles have reversed and she's the parent. Mm-hmm. She's much more mature about this whole thing than her mother is. And so. she's correctly mad at Lorelai both for her sudden decision mm-hmm. to break up with Max for no reason and for trying to put Rory in the middle of it. Then the next scene is at school and. Ugh, well, just to make... It's a very difficult scene. Yeah, to make Lorelai look better, we get a real good look at Paris's mom, who sucks. <laughs> what I, I wish we knew a little bit more about Paris's mother. Mm-hmm. This is the only time we see her. This is the only scene we see her. And she's basically telling her daughter, I can't come to... She's there at school. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't want to go to even one class because you know how hard this is for me. I'm going mm-hmm. through a divorce. And what she basically means is she's in this elite society. Everybody knows her. She doesn't... She, everybody knows what's going on, mm-hmm. that her husband has been having an affair and living with somebody else in Paris, in Paris, which mm-hmm. is where another part of the Paris is burning title. The mom is being left and she doesn't want to face everybody who knows that. But she she's there. Mm-hmm. She's in the school. Why doesn't she just go to the one class? Is yeah. it going to kill her? And she doesn't. She just won't do it. She says, no, it's too hard for me. What she can't see is her daughter. It's hard for her daughter, too. Paris is facing the same things that she's facing, only she's facing it every day mm-hmm. with the kids at school who are the children of the the parents who are gossiping about her mother. So mm-hmm. they know what's going on. Everything that's happening to the mother here is happening 10 times worse to the daughter who can't not go to school. She has to face it every day. And all of that is obvious in this very short, maybe 15-second scene. And you just want to hit this woman. She's being a real bitch. And I don't use that word very often. And she also, like, opens it by, like, insulting Paris's skin. Like, she claims that Paris isn't using this special skin cleanser for her that she acne. got for her. And, and yeah. Paris has beautiful skin. Beautiful, it's flawless skin. gloriously beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, she looks like an, an angel in this scene. And then we yeah. get this woman saying, you clearly haven't been using the facial cleanser I got you. And it's just like, what? Yeah. She looks perfect. And even if she didn't, how dare you say something like that to your daughter in the middle of the school? At school. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. So that sucks. We all feel very bad for Paris. And then we get the scene in Mr. Medina's class. And this is also, so the whole class, we get a little bit of him, like, talking to the parents uh, and then everyone files out, and he and Lorelai are finally left alone together, which is when we learn that he has left her four messages since Saturday. To be honest, I feel like they are both 
being very inappropriate, like right from the jump in this scene. Mm -hmm. I think it's inappropriate that he tries to start this conversation with her. I think it's inappropriate that she thinks she's going to break up with On parents' day, at school. At at school, where like it's not even just at school. It's at school where all of the other parents are there. Like it's about as public as it can. I cannot imagine having this this kind of a conversation at my workplace and especially Mm-mm. if I worked with teenagers, and especially, mm-hmm. especially if it was the day where all of the parents were there. It's c- and they're loud. They're you loud. know, they're loud. I don't know. I mean, different schools are going to have different schedules, but it's also very weird to me that he's both acting like he doesn't have another class coming up, and he's acting like there's no chance someone's going to walk into his unlocked classroom with glass doors leading into it. Yep. It's wild. And of course, because it's a TV show and we need things to be dramatic as possible, she tries to break up with him and fails, and they end up making out. And right as they're well, making no, out. He, he grabs well, her he grabs and kisses her. Yeah. her. Yeah. He forces a kiss on her, mm-hmm. which is a, also another trope mm-hmm. where the man shuts the woman up by kissing her, mm-hmm. you know, uh, dynamically, strongly, grabs her, pulls her pulls her in, and then they keep kissing. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a long kiss. Yeah, they keep going. And Paris... Paris sees Paris it, sees them, and yeah. now she has ammunition mm-hmm. to go take back out to the, her classmates to get the attention off of her. Yep. Oh, look, Rory's mom is having an affair with our teacher, mm-hmm. and which is what she does. She goes into the cafeteria and starts just, just goes to the head of one table and the head of another table, and you could just see the rumor coming down the table. And I'm, mm-hmm. I was thinking about Harry Potter, you know, <laughs> the, the visual of Harry Potter, you know, at the private school and the, and the table you know the the kids at the table just passing the information down the mm-hmm. table and then at every and you know the it's just a it's a visually a very well done scene yeah and Rory can kind of see that something's happening but she can't hear exactly what's happening mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. Paris comes over and throws it in her face that she just caught her mom making out with a, te- a teacher and told everyone and Rory is humiliated and furious and furious. rightfully and, so oh <laughs> one of her best scenes in the entire show <laughs> yeah <laughs> In all seven years, she finally stands up to Paris. Yes. And she tells her, you're doing this to me, uh, which is what, you know, is being done to you. Do you really think that's the right way to go? Yeah. And she shames her into feeling bad about it. And Paris must really be feeling vulnerable because she has never felt bad about anything she's done up to this point. But she sees the truth of what Rory says to her, that you 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 should be ashamed of yourself, you shouldn't do this, you're doing to me what's being done to you. How does that make it better for either of us? Well, and, and, and I think it's um, because of the way that Rory addresses it, because she doesn't she doesn't say it in like a super aggressive way. She just mm-hmm. basically says, you were just experiencing this and then you turned it on to me. Why did you think that that was the right thing to do when you were just feeling how it feels? Mm-hmm. Uh, and she also points out like Mr. Medina is really nice to you. He holds up your work in front of he class. He respects yeah, you. Yeah, he he respects yeah. you. He lifts you up and you turn around and, you, and do you've this done to this him. to him too. Mm-hmm. It's not just that you've done it to me and my mom. You've done it to a teacher who respects you. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, that you know what's going to happen here. He's a teacher and everybody's going to find out about this. The parents are going to find out about it. They're going to they're going to complain mm-hmm. to the 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 hierarchy at the school. He's going to get in trouble. We know that's going to happen. As soon as the, as soon as we see her spreading the rumor, we know what's going to happen. And she does start to feel a little bit ashamed of herself. Yeah. And in that moment, she her cold facade kind of breaks down. She it's hard for her. She kind of struggles with it. You know, she says, 
Well, maybe we could talk. Uh, oh, I Rory offers to talk. Yes. If you, if you ever need to talk, she can see that what Paris really needs is a friend. Yeah. And what she needs is a friend who is at her level. These two girls who are her, her quote-unquote groupies are really not at her level. They don't yeah. understand things as well as she does. And they're not very empathetic to her. They're not very, yeah. And this is the thing, she and Paris could really be friends. Mm-hmm. They they are a lot alike. They're both very smart. They're both, uh, they're both passionate. Mm-hmm. And they perceive, they have per, uh, very good at perceiving what's going on. Empathy, like you said. Yeah. What, what's going on with other people. They have a lot in common. And they have been afraid of that man and Superman thing again. They've been afraid to acknowledge it until now. Because yeah. there's also a competition there. And mostly on Paris's part. She's the competitive one. But Rory's been pushing back. Yeah. You know, she she's like, well, if you're going to be mean to me, I'm not going to be nice to you. Mm-hmm. Why would I? Mm-hmm. But in this moment, her being mean to Paris is actually a form of being nice to her. Because she's telling her what she did. Because yeah. nobody... Probably nobody tells Paris, yeah. you know, that she's wrong. So she does. She tells her. And Paris says, well, maybe maybe we could talk. Maybe not, though. I have to think about it. Well, maybe we could. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, she goes <laughs> well, back she, and forth. She says, and we're not friends. And Rory's like, friends, I but... know we're not friends, but I will still be there if you want to talk. And mm-hmm. you can just see Paris be like, well, hmm, hmm, well, we're not friends, but maybe. 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 Maybe, yeah. He's breaking down. She's her she's letting her, her facade down and letting Rory see her. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not easy for her to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She she kind of has to couch it in this like semi hostile language. But mm-hmm. you can see some of that some of the vulnerability coming through. In that moment with the two of them breaking down their barriers with each other, I was mm-hmm. very proud of both of them. Yeah. I remember I wrote I wrote in my notes proud of both of them because this is not easy to do especially for young women yeah at that point in life it's really hard to be honest about how you feel and they're both kind of being honest there and it it was just a really good moment but anyway i love that scene yeah i think it's Um, it's kind of the one one of maybe two positive developments of the episode mm -hmm. and and i I do think the, (laughs) the man and superman thing is an apt pull there because i do feel like in a way rory and paris's friendship plays out kind of like a rom-com where they are like kind of hostile to each other but then sort of against their own will they end up yes kind of liking each other drawn to each other yeah they've been drawn to each other from day one yeah so what's what is the next scene because i've got so i love that we actually (laughs) jumped past the the dinner scene oh on the stairwell yeah so there was there was the stairwell scene first and then friday night dinner and then the rory and paris scene Uh, but yeah so the the stairwell scene is basically just rory being mad at her mom and rory is correct (laughs) and then oh yeah and then we have a Friday night dinner scene where Emily, of course, already knows what happened. Emily has heard all of the gossip and... and she she sends Rory off to her room. Uh-huh. She doesn't have a room, but she no. sends her out. Go upstairs. I have to talk to your mother. Yep. And she's like, she's going to take command of this. She's going to tell them what they need to do because she's the expert and she's the mother. And they need to tell do what she tells them mm-hmm. to do. And she doesn't realize how, how what her daughter is actually going through, which is yeah. that she really likes Max. She wants him in her life. Mm-hmm. And she's she starts to tear up when yeah. her mother's talking to her. She's why? Why are you doing this? She's well, because I really like him. He's a really good person, and of course, in, in Emily's mind, nobody is good enough for her except Christopher. Mm-hmm. Even though this guy who's a teacher and he's a teacher at Chilton, she still, you know, and she doesn't realize until the scene is over and Lorelai gets up and walks away that that Lorelai's really upset. Mm-hmm that this is hard for her. And then she has just a quick moment of doubt comes across Emily's face. 
I think also what's happening in this scene is basically because Lorelai is forced to defend this relationship, she kind of has to think through it and kind of like yeah. talks herself back into wanting to be in the relationship again. Like yeah. she, she kind of has to really think about the fact that she does like him. And despite all of her distancing for the rest of the episode, she can't deny that she likes him, which does eventually bring us to the end of the episode. Although before that, we got the most important part of this, this the uh, the whole episode is what happens next. Which is that Suki gets her squash blossoms. <laughs> Which she does get her squash blossoms. Yes, she does. And yeah. and what he and what Little Jackson says is, hurrah, mediocrity wins again. <laughs> so <clears throat> because they've been fighting over this, he thought that he really wanted her to try his hybrid whatever it was, yeah. his hybrid vegetable. By doing that, he is attacking her standard you know, blossom dish that she's been mm-hmm. making for years that everybody loves, but he thinks it's me- mediocre. Mm-hmm. But while he's ranting at her, she is smiling at him and her smile gets bigger. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, she's realizing at that in that moment, obviously, that she's very attracted to him. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking at that moment, and I realized that the scene earlier with Lorelai is difficult, and she is being cruel to her when she said you haven't had a relationship in a long time. But saying that to her does open Suki's mind. And so when she's listening to Jackson rant at her, she's smiling and realizing he's as passionate about food as I am. Mm-hmm. So then you want you want to take it from there? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I, I don't disagree that, like, obviously the, the text of the episode is telling us that Lorelai saying this to Suki caused her to have this revelation. I just mm-hmm. think, like, you know... It's a chipping. It's a tipping point for her. Yeah, like, Suki is able to cause Lorelai to have these kinds of realizations without saying cruel stuff to cruel her. Cruel things. Oh, like, absolutely. If, if Lorelai was paying any freaking attention, she would have noticed that Suki and Jackson flirt all the time. The whole audience knows it. She could have mm-hmm. just at some point said to her, hey, what do you think about Jackson? Yeah, that would have been a much nicer way to handle it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that being said, I, I do like this scene. And I do also like that they don't, because I think the tendency in a lot of these kinds of stories is because Suki is a plus size woman, the tendency is to mm-hmm. say, well, because she's fat, that's why she can't have love or whatever. It could be, you. I think you could make the argument that that is the undercurrent of what's happening here because why else absolutely would, it absolutely is yeah why else would suki be you know in any way afraid to ask anyone out she's very pretty she's very funny she's an excellent chef you know she's a, an accomplished person mm-hmm. but she is overweight and we live in a culture where that's not okay mm-hmm. uh mind you jackson is also overweight <laughs> A little bit, yeah. But he's also a lot taller than her. You see that in this scene. He's taller than her. She's very short. And culturally, we don't make as big a deal about men who, fat men versus fat women. Not to say that fat men don't experience any uh, stigma. They definitely do. But it's it's worse for women. It's worse for women, yeah. And it's, you know, there's this kind of idea that you can't be feminine if you're fat. Yeah. Or that you can't be attractive. Yeah. She is beautiful. She's beautiful. Yeah. uh, Melissa McCarthy. Again, let's mm-hmm. point out that this is Melissa McCarthy, and she's young here. She's probably maybe thirty-ish mm-hmm. at this point, and she is beautiful. Yeah. And when you, she's looking at him as he's talking, and her smile is getting bigger, she is just so beautiful in that moment. And he's so busy ranting that he doesn't really notice that she's smiling at him. Mm-hmm. And then she says, "Would you like to have dinner sometime?" Yeah. And he kind of stops in his tracks and says, "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know what she says at that point, but he walks off. Yeah. They don't they don't make plans. <laughs> they don't make the actual plan. <laughs> they don't they, make it, they yeah. never do. He just walks off. On, they on, never do on it TV just shows. Yeah, it's always just like, no. You wanna go out? Yes, end of scene. <laughs> And a scene, yeah. But yeah, but but yeah, but I, I do like that the point of view of the show is not that Suki is in any way undeserving of love. She is, and her relationship with Jackson is really cute, and I like that. I don't like how Lorelai treated her, but I like Suki and Jackson. It's, it's good for overweight women, and I remember this when it was first on, thinking this is good for women who are overweight to see. Mm-hmm. And I don't use the F word, by the way. That, that F word. I, um, I use it a lot I because it's... a lot of uh, fat activists use it. And yeah, so I, yeah. I do use it. I think it's a harmful word. But okay, I understand that. But anyway, I, I, but I think it was to see this beautiful woman who is overweight mm-hmm. have a loving relationship with a man who is not all that attractive, but he's, but he's, he's interesting and charismatic. And, you know, he gets her. They get each other. And to find happiness together. That that was that was role modeling, and I think that was mm-hmm. probably a very you know it was they were they were taking a risk. Yeah, it could have been rejected by the audience, but it wasn't because they set it up perfectly. Yeah, uh, I th- I think he's cute. I mean he's he's not he's not like necessarily going to be a model anytime soon. He's kind of he's been, not Luke. Uh, I mean he's not Luke. Well, nobody's Luke. <laughs> nobody's <laughs> he's, Luke. I mean he's he's not he's not like you know he's he's an he's kind of an ordinary looking guy, but he's he's cute. You know he's got a thing. I think he's he's cute because his, his personality is cute. I mean yeah he's. He he's got um he's got big ears and a big head. I mean he's not when you when you when you look at him he's not really that attractive, but he is attractive yeah. because his personality is sweet and funny and smart yeah. and passionate. And passionate, yeah. He's, he's got. Very a, they passionate. both have a passion for what they do, and that's what what comes out the most. I think it's really it's really good. I, yeah. I love the two of them, and I you know I've been waiting for this episode. So <laughs> waiting. This is eleven episodes we've been waiting because we know what happens, and we knew they were going to get together. And they're just adorable and anyway, so yeah. but the next scene is just a polar opposite of this one. It's yeah. very difficult. It's also very beautiful, but it's kind of redeeming for Lorelai because she figures out that what everybody's been saying is right. Mm-hmm. That, you know, her daughter's been telling her that this is difficult. She's putting her in a difficult situation. She realizes that. Um, she realizes that she has a pattern with mm-hmm. men and that she's afraid. It's not that she's afraid her daughter's going to get hurt, mm-hmm. but she's afraid she's going to get hurt. Yeah. And she does say this to him, but then she also says, but I really like you and I want to try to make this work. And then... And then he breaks he up breaks with her. He breaks up with her. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. And he does say, like, the way that he says it, it's clearly not... He's not saying that he's not interested in her. He's just basically no. finally accepting that maybe Admitting. it wasn't... Yeah. It, maybe it wasn't a great idea for them to go out in the first place. Yeah, that he um, didn't think it through. Yeah, he neither. You know, she tried to tell him early on. This we got to think about this. Mm-hmm. My daughter's life is, you know, in the balance here. We really have to be careful and thoughtful about this if we're going to do it. Yeah. And he has pushed her beyond that again and again and again, mm-hmm. and gotten what he wanted until it bites him in the butt. Which mm-hmm. you know, if somebody sees him kissing her, they go to the headmaster. He's in trouble. They're, they're even talking about possibly suspending him. Yeah. He's feeling it in a, in a way that is, is just about him. 
It's all about him. (sighs) So he breaks up with her and she says, okay, and he leaves at the coffee shop. And by the way, they're in the coffee, the same coffee shop that they were in on their first date. Mm -hmm. um, Where she, they sat three or four seats apart and she gradually kept getting closer to him. So they, she walks in, or she's sitting there and he walks in and they have this conversation. And he says, I, you know, I had to think about this. I I think we have to take a break. And this is after she has poured her soul out to him. And told him this big that she finally realizes that how she's been wrong and why and she she details a form you know I, I I wasn't careful with my daughter and and I am afraid of mm-hmm. being crushed she says it yeah. I am afraid of being hurt and yet I like you and I'm willing to take the chance and that's when he says fuck you I'm walking out <laughs> and Inga. You know, that's not literally what he says, but he doesn't say that. No, but that's what it feels like, you know. Yeah. It's like she's just opened her heart to you, and you do this to her. Yeah. Anyway, so he walks out, and so exactly, and then this cannot be stated enough. Exactly what she was afraid would happen happens. Yeah. So then she goes home. She's in bed. She's crying. Rory comes up and comforts her, puts mm-hmm. her arms around her. This is Rory being them. She's been mothering her mother during this entire episode, mm-hmm. and that's how that's how we ended. And yeah, that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Oh man, this was a, a good one and a tough one. Lorelai does a little bit of growing up in this one. Yeah, Rory does too because she takes on Paris. She tells her, you know, she's honest with her and and doesn't let her push her around. So they both kind of grow up a little bit. I don't remember what happens with Max. I think they do get back together later on, but I don't remember, so I can't even spoil it for anybody. But Max is to me, I would write him off at this point because he's been a, he's you know he's been a jerk all along. He has wanted what he wanted. Yeah, pushing Lorelai into a relationship she wasn't sure about that might be inappropriate. Forcing uh, Rory to call to you know think about what she should call him, mm-hmm. and it's always about him. Yeah, it's always been about him and what he wants. And in the end, after she gives him this this loving, sweet confession where she allows herself to be vulnerable and admits that she was afraid, that's when he does to her what she was afraid he would do to her. Yep. So I don't like him much at this point. No. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm kind of in the same boat. I. I don't like his behavior at all. Like I said, it is wild to me that he kissed her in the middle of a classroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that is just to shut her up. To yeah. get her to, to realize that he was perfect for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, if I were. Lorelai, I don't think I would have dated him in the first place because I'm pretty sure at this point in time I'd already be married to Luke. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really good. Just what she's got. Luke, she's got Luke staring her in the face. I know. He's gorgeous. He's interesting. He cares about her. Very clearly into her. Yeah, very clearly. And I think she's into him too. I just think that she's got to work through some wild oats or something before she can give him a chance. Yeah. She has several boyfriends yeah, before, she, she, before they get together. And... She's not ready for commitment. And admittedly, no, she's not. you know, dating. Luke is going to be the commitment. So yeah. She's, and she's, like, she's, yeah. because she already knows Luke so well, it would immediately be a much more serious relationship. And she's not mm-hmm. ready for that. So, okay. And fine. as her daughter points out, you can't date Luke because then you'll break up with him and you won't be able to go back to the diner. She said that last episode. Yeah, so, and it's true. And she knows if she gets into it with Luke, she's got to take it seriously, be very thoughtful about it. And yeah. she's not ready to do that. Anyway, so that, dear listeners, is all for today. Yes. Uh, I'm Tessa Dare. You can find me at my website, tessadare.com. That's T-E-S-S-A-D-A-I-R dot com, where you can sign up for my email list, 
Or you can follow me on Instagram at author.tess.adair or on TikTok at author.tess.adair. And if you want to support us on Patreon, that is patreon.com slash where you lead. And I am Beth Von Baron. You can follow me on Instagram at STL underscore writer underscore Beth. Or sign up for my weekly Substack email, which I just started, Saturday Morning Musings at STLWriterBeth, all run together, dot substack, dot com. This has been Where You Lead, our fun and terribly witty podcast about the Gilmore Girls from the perspective of a mother and daughter. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll tune in for our next episode in two weeks. See you then.